All right, good morning. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. It's, it's great to see all of you today. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and, and um, uh, we're going to be in Colossians, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Colossians 1, uh, we'll be in 124, so chapter 1, verse 24 through uh, to <clears throat> verse 5. Uh, as you're turning there, let me do a little quick catch-up on Colossians, uh, a, a quick review. Colossians is a letter written by Paul uh, to the church in, a, in an ancient city called Colossae. And, and there's a lot known about this city. It's, it's interesting, at the time of Paul's writing this, it was a city, as Matt has talked about, it was almost kind of like this retirement city. There was a lot of, a lot of wealth there. There, there, were, there were people there, but what was also interesting with this city is that it was kind of a declining city. Right, like, like there was industry there, but, but, but when you look at the history, you see Colossae was kind of on the downward hill side of as far as city life goes. And yet, in this city, there was a need for the church, which I think speaks um, um, very clearly about the heart of God. Right, That even though a city may look like it's on the decline, that's not a reason to just pass it by and move on to the big, new, shiny, growing, like new up-and-coming city. Right, That God still has a tender heart for people wherever they are in whatever city they're in. And so one of his disciples named Epaphras was in this city, and he had started the church there. He was raising up disciples there of men and women, and, and Epaphras reported back to Paul some things that were going on in the city, and he said there was, there was some really great things going on and some not-so-great things going on. So this letter is Paul reacting to Epaphras' uh, report, and what Paul's doing is he is going to encourage the church there in Colossae, and he's going to instruct them. Because he wants to encourage them and say, guys, man, y'all are doing great here and y'all are knocking it out of the park here, but you're also doing this. And he's going to gently warn them because the, the thing that they're doing, the, the gently warning thing that they're doing, if they continue to do it, will cause all kinds of great harm because they were tempted to, tempted to believe something other than the gospel. And actually what they were doing is, is taking the gospel and adding stuff to it. So they were, they were standing in this relationship with Christ that was new and, 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 and empowering and, and refreshing. But they were also saying, hey, there are times when that just doesn't work. So we're going to go over here to do this the way we used to do it. And what Paul's doing is he's going to gently keep moving them back and say, no, 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 no. Like, this is what works. You don't have to go back to the old stuff. Right? You, can, you can stay in this new kingdom and in this new way of thinking, which is why we are calling this series All Things New, because what Paul continues to do is continues to draw them back to Jesus, draw them back to the gospel and say, this is new. And that old stuff, man, it has a place, but it is not this. This is what makes all things new. And so what Paul does to encourage them is to remind them of these simple and yet profound truths of the gospel. And so you'll see this is another letter like Paul where the, the first part of the letter is theology and the last part of the letter are, is this practical living stuff. So if you've been with us through the series and, and you're like, man, this is heavy and this is deep, just, just hold on. 
right? Because at the end of this chapter, it lightens up a bit. And he goes, okay, do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. But what Paul's doing is he wants them to get their head right. He wants them to get their mind right. Because Paul knows that to live rightly, you must believe rightly. That it's actually impossible to live rightly unless you believe rightly. And if you look at your Bibles, just to do a quick review, if you look at verse 15, you'll see these three different segments. You'll see in verse 15, he starts with the word, he is, right? And in this section, what, Jesus, what Paul does is he looks at Jesus and he says, he, says, he reminds us of, of the power and position of Jesus. And some of the statements that he uses are, are he is the invisible God, right? That all things are created by him and for him. That he is the, the head of the body, the church. That he is preeminent and he is the fullness of God. And then if you look at section 21, he says you. So he talks about this is who Jesus is. And then in, in verse 21, he says you. And Paul reminds them of the truth about them. That they were once apart from God. And get this, he says, apart from God in your minds. Right? Because remember, he's talking about theology and he's talking about how they believe. And he wants them to know that even though you thought you were apart from God, God wasn't apart from you. The problem was your belief about him was wrong. You thought you had to approach him through behavior. You thought you had to approach him through, through rules and regulations. But really, the way to approach God is through Jesus. And when you, when you say yes to Jesus, it aligns everything right. Your mind, what you believe, is set right with God. And you realize that he has been with you the whole time. You see, in, in, in today's section, where we start in verse 24, Paul uses the word I. So he talked about he is, you are, and now he's going to say I. And, and what we're going to see is, is, is Paul's really going to explain kind of his job description. He's going to explain why he does what he does. He's going to explain like how he can deal with, with all the trials and tribulations and suffering that he's gone through. Right? And, and, and here's what I hope happens. As we go through that, I hope we can better understand why we do the things that we do. Because because here's what happens. He's going to start off real quick talking about suffering. And and here's what he knows. And this is true of, of them and it is true of us. When suffering hits, that's when we can be tempted to grab the old stuff. Right? That's when, we, that's when we're tempted to go like, hey, this Jesus thing, man, love Jesus, I'm all in. But it's not working for me right now, so I'm going to move over here and give this a try. Because this used to work. Right? And what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, hey, in a very humble way, he's going to say, hey, I want you to look at me for just a minute. And I want you to look at how this has lived out in my life, how I can suffer, as we'll see, with joy because of Jesus. Okay? And what I hope happens is that we leave here today better to live out the truth of Jesus in our life more wholeheartedly. So let's, let's look at verse 24. Chapter 1, verse 24 says this. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Right? And so this is where Paul starts off. He starts off talking about suffering. But you'll also see he starts off talking about joy. Because what does it say? He says, I rejoice in my suffering." And he puts two things together that, that typically don't go together very easily. Right? Suffering and joy. For Paul, 
This joy in suffering is rooted in everything he has just said. Everything he has just said about who Jesus is. Everything he has just said about who they are in Jesus. Because if you notice, the word, it act, the word that this verse begins with is now. Some translations use therefore. Like, like what Paul wants us to consider is that everything he has just said and everything he is now saying is in light of everything that he just said. That because Jesus is preeminent, because all things were created through him and for him and held together by him, because Jesus is who he is, this suffering that you're experiencing isn't new to him. And because you're suffering this, and because Jesus is who he is, you can actually trust him in the midst of your suffering. Because you have, have, because of Jesus, because of who Jesus is and because you have trusted him and been forever changed and are being changed by him, you can trust him. And so because of this, Paul can rejoice while he suffers. And listen, y'all, Paul knows suffering, right? He was beaten multiple times, like an inch from his death beaten had to be carried out of cities unconscious and then carried back in again unconscious, right? He was shipwrecked. Anybody been shipwrecked? Like literally, not just metaphorically in life. Like he was literally shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous, spy, uh, not spider, ugh, uh, bitten by a poisonous snake, not like that's any better, but still poisonous snake, right? He was the object of a riot in a city, Right? And this is just to name a few. Like when you want to talk about suffering, Paul kind of could write the book on it. And if he did, it would be called Joy and Suffering. Because his joy was in the gospel and in the gospel moving and changing lives and growing. But as he does talk about suffering, he wants us to, to acknowledge that suffering is real. Because I think he knows it is the biggest thing that draws us away from Jesus. And let's look at verse, the rest of verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, now here, here's what's interesting. This is an interesting verse because you see Paul saying he, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And, and, and y'all, I kind of did a deep dive on this because I was like, what in the world does this mean? And here's what I found. There's lots of commentators that have different views on what this means. But all of them have one thing in common, and that is what it doesn't mean. And what it doesn't mean is that what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection was insufficient in any way. That is not what Paul is saying. Because we can know that that's true. If that was true, then Paul wouldn't have anything to stand on because now he's responsible for his salvation. He's responsible for his sanctification because Jesus wasn't enough. But you cannot in your wildest dreams read Paul's writings and think that Jesus isn't enough. Thank you. Thank you. Where are the rest of y'all? That's what I got. Right? Right? But what Paul says here is he is filling a gap. And that gap, I believe, is the suffering he endures for the sake of the church. 
right? That all the stuff that I talked about, he did because Jesus paid the ultimate price for him. And and his death, burial, and resurrection paid the price for him to have this relationship with God that was worth it. That was worth the imprisonment, worth the beatings, worth the riots. It was worth it. Because of what Jesus did, he paid it fully. And so so Paul can suffer in ways that we would consider uh, unimaginable and yet still say, man, I rejoice in those sufferings. You see, Paul says that his suffering with joy in some ways actually validates the gospel he believes in. Right? Because you see, when things got tough, if he would have suffered and then bailed, it would have made the gospel seem useless. Right? What good is Jesus if as soon as things get hard, like, you know, imprisonment, shipwreck, poisonous snake, whatever, as soon as things get hard, you bail. Now, put that in comparison with the suffering we experience, right? Because we will take an accident and say, Satan is after me, right? Nah, it's just an accident. But when we say that, it's real easy for us to do one of two things. Either that's our motivation to go back to Jesus, which is great, or it's our motivation to get rid of Jesus altogether and grab that bottle, grab that can, grab that joint, grab whatever it is to relax us. And Paul's saying, y'all, come back over here. Come back over here. Because this is worth it. Right? Do y'all remember when movies had tickets? Right? You'd get your ticket, and granted, this is, I would say it's an old illustration, but it's really only like three years old. <laughs> you know, it's, we used to have tickets a lot more before COVID, but, but you'd get a ticket and they'd give it to you, and it had this perforated part, right? And, and you, it wasn't your job to tear the ticket apart. You would walk up to the person standing there on the inside of the theater, and you would give them the ticket, they would tear it apart. And you would take one part so you'd know what theater you're in, and you would go, and they would keep the other part. Can you imagine walking up to that person with just one part of that ticket? They'd say, sorry, this, doesn't, this is not how this works. And so what Paul is doing is he is putting joy and suffering together as if they are two parts of one ticket. They actually go together, right? Now, one part of that ticket, that is not your job. Salvation, sanctification, the Holy Spirit living in and indwelling you, right? Jesus, what Jesus did in saving and and restoring you, that that is one part of the ticket. The other part, though the other part of that ticket is your joy in suffering. And Paul's saying is if those things are ripped apart, it makes the gospel look like it's invalid. Now, every illustration breaks down. I'm not saying the gospel is invalid based on your behavior. But I'm saying your neighbors wouldn't believe you. Your neighbors would say, if Jesus is so great, why don't you believe in him? That's what I mean, is that it seems invalid. 
And Paul is saying that his suffering with joy is because of all that Christ has done. And that's, and that's Paul's position in his job is this, that, that he is in Jesus with joy and suffering. He is in Jesus with joy and, and suffering. Paul sees his ministry is in this position of joy and he, because he has this position with God through Christ. And so let's bring this to us because, because, like I said, if we start suffering, we start grabbing a hold of things. At least that's what we're tempted to do. Right? And so the question for us is, how are we, church, at suffering? And, and, and I've been in ministry long enough. Y'all, some people don't know how to be joyful. They think the Christian life is much more comfortable in misery than in joy. And I think Paul would have issues with that. I think Paul would tell you, go see a good therapist. Get this figured out. Because Jesus gives joy. Now, that doesn't mean happiness all the time. It does sometimes. Sometimes it means contentment. Sometimes it means a peace in the middle of the storm. But Paul would say, if the church is walking around looking like the most miserable group of people, why in the world would anybody want their Jesus? When life gets crazy and they freak out, why in the world would people want their Jesus? Because for Paul, suffering and joy went together. And y'all listen to me. Not many of us will be thrown into prison. I know some of y'all have and some of you might be one day. <laughs> well, deal with that when it happens. Right? We haven't been beaten up because of our faith. We haven't been shipwrecked because of our belief in the gospel. But here's the deal. All of us make choices every day. And those choices can lead to, to suffering, right? And, and, and Paul's saying, are you experiencing the joy of your relationship with God, the joy of Jesus in the midst of that? Because, because sometimes we have to make decisions that when there's the company party, we don't go because we know what's going to be happening there. Right? And I'm not saying we, because like Matt said for the tailgate announcement, like we know our context here. I'm not saying we have to be teetotalers, but I'm just saying there might be stuff going on there that as a, as a believer in Christ, it's just not a good environment for you. Right? It may mean that you have to tell your boss no. Because what your boss is asking you to do jeopardizes the ethics of the Bible. It may mean you have to ask somebody who's not a follower of Jesus to forgive you because you lied to them or you gossiped in front of them. And the Holy Spirit convicts you that, yeah, that may be good for them, but that's not good for you, so you got to go make it right. It could be that, that maybe you lose friends because you talk of Jesus. You see, all these are suffering for the gospel. And, and because Jesus ultimately suffered, we can go through that with joy, because we've got Jesus in us, too. We're actually not alone going through those. Not only is he in you, he is in us. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this. It says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully knowing, known, 
the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul's purpose is simple. Like his position is in Christ, but his purpose is, y'all, he wants people to know their Bible, right? And, and not just halfway know it, but he wants them to fully know the Bible. Like, like and I don't think he's talking about Bible drills. Y'all, I didn't grow up in the church, but I heard there's these things called sword drills. Anybody grow up in church and have a good sword drill? All right, for you who are like me that didn't grow up in church, what that means, and correct me if I'm wrong, because like I said, never experienced it. What that means is, like, would somebody, like, give a scripture and you had to find it? Or would they, is that what it was? Like, you had to find it in your Bible first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Word of God is a sword, living and active, and so you had to be the first one to find it. It was like trivia. I don't think that's what Paul had in mind, although that's awesome. Like, knowing your Bible is great, and it's really fun for kids that like to be busy to have something to do. Like, yay, yay, sword drills. But I think Paul was talking about something more than that, right? Because he talks about there's this mystery in the fullness of God's word. And that mystery has now been revealed, right? In verse 26 to 27 is where he starts talking about this mystery. And, and, and he doesn't talk about something that, has, that is hidden, that he has some secret, secret power to know what it is. He's talking about mystery as being something revealed. Remember the game Clue? Right? You had this little envelope that had, you know, your job was to figure out who did it, what weapon, and what room, right? That was the three things you had to figure out. And then once you narrowed it down, you would make your guess, and then it was revealed. Are you right or wrong? This is what Paul's talking about is happening in the Word of God that he wants people to know, that this mystery that is revealed in the Word of God is Jesus. That for the entire Old Testament, they longed for this coming Messiah. They looked for this coming Messiah. And now we know him. And his name is Jesus. He's been revealed. The envelope has been opened. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? And that mystery has had this powerful effect, not only on the Jewish nation, but also on the Gentiles, that now we get to worship together. See, the mystery is Jesus in you. Because in the Jewish temple, um, um, in the Jewish temple, there were these sections of the Jewish temple. There were, there were sections for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Then there was a section for the women, and then a section for the men, and then it kept getting like smaller and smaller groups of people until you finally had one room in the very middle that only the high priest could go to. And what Jesus has done, Paul says, is that now there are no sections. Now we, because Jesus is in you, that means Jesus is in us. And there isn't a place for, for the, the Jews to sit over here and the non-Jews to sit over here and the men to sit here and the women to sit back there. That because of Jesus, we are all the church. And so what does it mean to have Christ in you? If you go back and look at verses 15 through 20, all that said about Christ, all that is in you. Because of Jesus. You see, Christ in you means that the very Spirit of God is with you. You have been promised the Spirit, Jesus says in John 17. Jesus said, He will be with you forever at the end of Matthew. 
You have been sealed, Paul will talk about in another letter to Ephesians, that once you believe in Jesus to take away your sins and you say yes to this offer of salvation and yes to this relationship with God, that, that, that it is Jesus who, who matures you in this relationship with God, that you are promised and sealed the very presence of Christ. And this is a little bit harder for the Western church to understand. This isn't just individual. Yes, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed. Yes, Jesus is in you, but he is also in us. And there is something special that happens when the people of Jesus gather together and worship and learn. And Paul saying, y'all, we didn't expect that, but it's been revealed. The mystery has been solved. All right, so now we know this was his process to, 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 to reveal the word of God. But how does this word become fully known? Look at verse 28. Verse 28, remember this is Paul's job description. He's talking about him. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so simply put, you make this mystery known, y'all, by talking about Jesus. That's how you do it. You talk about Jesus with your kids. You talk about Jesus with your friends. And you, and you make him known by teaching the gospel. And Paul says there's two areas. We warn gently and we teach rightly. And so where do these warnings and teachings start? Paul says we proclaim him. They start and they stop with the life and words of Jesus. Right, And so Paul's position is that he is in Jesus with joy and suffering. His purpose is for others to be fully in Jesus. And the process is by teaching Jesus. Right, Our warnings and teachings come from the life and words of Jesus. They have to come from this place of Christ in you. Otherwise, they become rules to follow. But what these warnings and teachings should center around is how to nurture Jesus in you. And as a church, this whole gently warning thing, it's a lot of fun, right? It's a lot of fun to stand up here, to be in growth group and talk about the things that people are grabbing a hold of outside of a life in Jesus. Like, like to sit down and look somebody in the eye and go, let's talk about sex outside of marriage for a minute, shall we? And let me tell you why that's a bad idea. Yes, it's a bad idea because, because Jesus honors marriage, this covenant relationship. But it's also a bad idea. This is where we're going to get real here for just a minute. It's also a bad idea because relationship-wise, it's a really bad idea. Mediocre sex will prolong a bad relationship. In good sex, you don't care. This is why Jesus says, Honor the marriage bed. Because he wants you to be able to look at this person that you're considering to be your partner. And he wants you to be able to know, is this the person that you get to spend the rest of your life with? Without sex clouding it. Because sex will come later, right? It's why we can, we can look at men and women now and talk about pornography and the destructive nature of pornography. Because it is destructive. 
Right? It's why, we can, it's why we can gently encourage people like Matt did about giving. We can encourage people to read their Bible daily and to pray throughout the day. And, and all these things may seem like rules, but when it's through Jesus and in this relationship with God, it has a bigger purpose and it makes sense because it enhances the relationship with God. It makes space for the gospel to change us. And the truth is, we all have junk in our lives, Right? And Jesus lovingly and patiently has us confront that junk. This summer we did a a four-week thing on fasting, which I think the plan is we're actually going to take the whole church through it in uh, January. So enjoy November and December. (laughs) We're not mean, so we'll do it in January, right? But here's, here's, here's what fasting has done for I went through a season quite a while back where fasting was, a, was something that I practiced, not regularly. But, but what fasting has shown me, and I don't mean like big, I mean like skipping lunch once a week, right? But it has shown me that I am such a fleshly motivated person. I am like my lab when it comes, Labrador retriever, when it comes to food motivation, Right? Like intentionally taking time away from food to focus on Jesus, y'all has shown me just how much I focus on the flesh and focus on food. And this is Jesus lovingly showing me that he is better than fried chicken. Because sometimes I question. (laughs) Right? Right? But he is. And I still struggle with, like I was telling my wife yesterday, yesterday is one of those days I could eat all the things. Just eat all the things, right? Hip, hip, hooray for the emotional eaters, yeah? Right? So the question for you is what's keeping you from growing Christ in you? Right? Do you need to stop doing something? Do you need to stop spending so much time in, in front of a screen? Do you need to end a relationship with a person that's distracting you from Jesus? Is there, is there a lie that, that, that you told that maybe has been nagging you and you need to set things right? Is there a lie that you believe that's pulling you away from Jesus and pulling you away from God's people that you need to, that you need to set right? Maybe you need to, to, to stop doing something, but maybe you need to do something. Maybe you do need to read your Bible more, right? Do you know reading your Bible 10 minutes every day will get you through a chunk of your Bible every year? Just 10 minutes. Do you need to get baptized? Have you said yes to Jesus and just kind of kept that to yourself or a small group of people? We have baptism coming up October 22nd, I think, where we'll have a baptismal in here, and it's great fun. It's a big party, and if you would like to be baptized, maybe that's the time, right? Do you need to Join a growth group or maybe just show up to your growth group ready to engage and and study God's word together. Do you need to take time to just stop and pray and listen to God? Right? Do you need to practice praying with your spouse, confessing wrongs? Do you need to join the fasting bandwagon? Right? You got till January if that's your case. See, I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what you don't need to do, but I would imagine you do. And maybe today is the day that you, you stop doing what you don't need to do and start doing what you do need to do in glory to God. Because here's what this produces, right? 129 says, for this I toil. So this is Paul talking, struggling with all uh, his energy, being Jesus's, 
that he powerfully and works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea, that's the area around Colossae, and for all who have, who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the fullness assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, because that's also what's happening in Colossae. For though I am absent in body, yet I am present with you in spirit, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And, and, and here's what I love about this. Paul's product that he's hoping to see is maturity and unity. And here, y'all, Paul is going to like, he's going to shoot them straight. But he doesn't have a problem also shooting them straight and saying, y'all have good order and your faith in Jesus is firm. There's just some things. And I think we can all use that, hey, y'all, there's just some things. Some things we need to get right. And I'm not going to spend much more time on this because I, I, if you believe Paul's position that you are in Christ with suffering and joy, if you believe Paul's purpose that, that it is for others to live in Jesus, and if you believe in Paul's process, all of that is his why, that, that, that you can warn and teach people in Jesus and about Jesus, then this product of maturity and unity will be this guaranteed outcome. Right? And so as we leave here today, let me ask you this. Are you seeing that maturity and unity in your life? Right? If not, then let's fix it in Jesus. And maybe you need to say yes to him today. Maybe today needs to be the day of your salvation. And if so, then please say yes to him today and let's talk and let's pray right after the service. Or I'll be down here doing the song. You can come up and talk to me if you want right then. But for those of us who have, maybe there's something we need to stop doing today. Or maybe there's something we need to start doing today to make more space for this life with, with God and Jesus. And so let's pray and consider where we are today. Jesus, um, you are good. And in you there is joy. And in you there is fullness, and in you there is, there is great contentment as, as the world around us continues to, to, to cause in, in, in suffering in us. As we continue to bring suffering into our own lives, you are still good. And we are not separated from you. We are together with you, and we are together with each other because of Jesus. And so I pray for us today that we will continue this, this ongoing uh, trek of maturity and unity. And that you will show each of us, do we need to stop? Do we need to start? Or do we need to say yes? In Christ's name I pray, amen.